0: Man, you've been eating retard sandwiches again. Did your mom marry Mr. Rogers? Uh, no, Mr.
1: Johnson. You're listening to the Slugliners Podcast.
0: Do you have any experience in motion
2: pictures? Oh, uh, yeah, quite a bit, actually. I have quite a bit of experience. I'm uh, an active uh, renter at Blockbuster, and I um, attend the film the cinema as much as possible, weekly, biweekly, interweek intermediately.
0: Would you be willing to cut your hair? Yes, but uh, it's usually better if someone else does it.
1: Some of the content of the Slugliners podcast may not be suitable for all listeners.
0: And I'm not you. I can't make it on a couple of high-altitude fucks once or twice a year. I wish I knew how to quit you.
1: If you're offended by subjects like STDs, women with small breasts, Hitler, Jar Jar Binks, sexually active priests, abortion, or pussy soaked in apple juice, then you probably shouldn't listen to the Slugliners podcast. Listener discretion is advised.
0: I like you, Betty. It's Denny's, sir. Danny.
1: And I said, hey, Lama, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know. And he says, oh, uh, it won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going. How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. Oh, this is the worst looking hat I ever saw. Well, you buy a hat like this, I bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. I'm in the class. It's my new thing. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not reflect the views of those involved in the movies discussed.
0: Your situation, for you, would be concurrently improved if I had $200 in my back pocket right now. Let me tell you something. You're suspect. Yeah, you are. Oh, that's not a case at all. The woman's a stone-faced lady. I-, I pulled out her really early on that one. Sorry. Thanks for coming.
1: The Slugliners podcast is cheap and easy, just like your mother.
0: Let's see, I started by getting completely
2: hammered drunk. It was bad, then drove while intoxicated to pick up this disease-infested prostitute. From there, let's see, me and the hooker went back to The hooker
1: place. and I. Excuse me,
2: the hooker and I went back to my place and from there it was just a blur of intravenous drug abuse and unprotected sex while taking the Lord's name in vain.
1: Did you know that when Monty was a child everyone thought he was retarded? I don't think I could handle the idea of you reproducing. Come on, Mom, of course I'm being safe. I pull out. Yes, well, your father pulled out, too, but we've all seen the tragic end of that story.
0: You think I want to have kids? Absolutely not. That's why I stick to anal sex.
1: The Slugliners Podcast is a copyright of mythicalsluglines.com.
0: Fuck
2: you, Monty! Always gotta be right with your little quips. We get it, man. You're fucking edgy and cool. Yeah! You're the coolest fucking guy shenanigans! Woo! That's like being the smartest kid with Down syndrome. You all suck. I quit
0: i want you inside me what oh hey what's up i was just come from before were you just talking to Casey? so she want to fuck me
2: is that what she was asking you
0: about because tell her that i will
2: you know in fact no don't tell her that i will tell her that i might victor i hate to break it to you but your name didn't even come up oh she definitely wants to fuck me i mean why else would she be talking to you were you the little fat boy
1: no no but but i just like to beat him up you know i grab him i go why are you so bad why are you so that and i beat the shit out of him <laughs>
0: Isn't that a great story? (laughs) That's Yoda. You familiar with Yoda? Yeah, from uh, Attack of the Clones.
1: are you going to rape us? All right, then. Watch it, fellas. I'm pretty sure this guy wants to rape us.
0: Hi, right, welcome to the Slugliners podcast. I'm Adam. I'm a filmmaker, and uh, Garrett.
2: Hi, this is Garrett. I'm. Uh, I'm actually a spiritual teacher, and I'm also a writer. So I'm bringing a little bit of my my knowledge to uh, the backside of what what George Lucas has done here for the Phantom Menace.
0: So today we're talking about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Starring Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor, Lame Neeson, that little kid that nobody cares about, and Ian McDermott, Did I already say him, I don't know. Uh, And it's written and directed by George Lucas. And Terrence
2: Stamp. Don't forget about
0: Terrence. Uh, General Zod is in this movie. Yes. (laughs) Do not forget General Zod. All right, the basic summary of this movie, it's, if you don't know it, here's a quick little flash of what you didn't see back in 1999 when this movie came out. takes place in a galaxy far, far away that greedy trade federation uh, have blocked trade routes from the planet uh, Naboo Chancellor Valorum sends two Jedi Knights Obi-Wan Kenobi and his master Qui-Gon Jinn to resolve the issue upon arrival they discover an invasion is set in place in order to get the 14 year old queen to sign some stupid fucking treaty that would make the invasion legal Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn land on the planet uh, hiding away on invasion ships Uh, on the surface they meet a bumbling retarded Gungan named Jar Jar <sighs> uh
2: we can we can already tell the the uh the animosity towards uh, jar jar <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> naturally every you know everyone knows that like that's one of the main themes behind like any type of bashing of episode one is yeah
0: jar jar oh, <laughs> good oh <laughs> <degree." laughs> the jar jar so one of the best things about this movie is the jar jar jokes that have come from the past 15 years or 12, 11 years i'm sorry <laughs> okay so uh, anyway once they get to the planet um, yeah, they reach the queen to convince her to escape on a ship and then they get help from uh, Chancellor Valorum. Uh, During the escape, uh, the Queen's ship is damaged, uh, forcing them to land on the desert planet of Tatooine, which is where Luke Luke was born and raised, uh, but we'll get into that in another episode. And apparently Republic credits are no good here. They they come across a local boy on the planet named Anakin Skywalker, who helps them get their ship repaired by winning a pod race. Qui-Gon takes Anakin with him back to the Jedi Council on Coruscant, which is the center of the universe and pretty much where everything happens in this galaxy far, far away. Once they're on Coruscant, uh, the Queen is denied help from the Senate to help her resolve the issue with the Trade Federation. Anakin is rejected from the Jedi University, and they all go back to Naboo to fight to fight a war with the uh, the Trade Federation. Unfortunately, the uh, the Jedi find the Phantom Menace on Naboo. And ends up with a great lightsaber duel with with Darth Maul. A digital war on grass with two things that just don't exist. Oh, a little boy who's never been in a starship before but manages to somehow destroy an entire fucking space station. The good guys win all the battles, but unfortunately Qui-Gon is killed and we find that it was all set up by a Sith Lord to get himself elected into Chancellor Zod's place. And uh, that's it in a nutshell. So, uh, you know, going back, thinking about when this movie came out, one of the best things about this movie is the build-up before the movie came out because the excitement level of this movie, before I mean, I, I don't think, there's never been a movie I've been going it went to. on.
2: You know what, it went on for years even before they announced he was going to do this. There was talk about it. You had that whole period of time after the original Star Wars trilogy was done and in the vault and VHS came out and five, ten years go by. It was still always that period of time like, someday I heard he's going to go back and do the prequels. Oh, yeah. So that built the anticipation to, you know, such a peak level.
0: Oh, totally. Like, the The fan base is, built uh, up so much shit. The fan base built up so much crap uh, for, for this movie. Uh, like you said, like, and everyone had their own version of what they've heard. You know, it was, like, back before, like, internet was huge, you know, and, and it was, like, you know, the mid-90s, early 90s, where, you know, you'd get your information from magazines, and there was just these false articles all the time where, like, you know... I mean, remember that guy that said, uh, you know, oh, there's... I know for a fact there was nine episodes written. It's like, no, there wasn't. There wasn't nine episodes.
2: Yeah. Basically, it was one... Story, but he, he, had, he had the hindsight to create the, the legend and the lure and he wrote another shorter story. But the, the whole purpose of what he did with writing the, the backstory was to use that for the legend of the story he would create. Um, so that's basically the original structure she, he, that he had going into that.
0: His original approach was
2: Well, you know what you know what's funny is you know, when I, I like to look at his writing style throughout and when he originally wrote Star Wars and and I'll use that as a whole, isn't like whether he wrote it as the whole thing or he broke down the three at the time. He he did a lot of research beforehand into the the writing structure and he he, he typically and you know, most people know this is, is that he used uh, you know, Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Bases, which is was highly, highly. used. Lucas is actually the one that made it so famous. But a lot of like writers who were you know tapped into you know this type of poetry and and, and structure and everything. They really used that beforehand. Jim Morrison was actually a very big fan of uh, Joseph Campbell, and I so thought was Bob Dylan. But um Lucas studied it and he knew going into this how to structure the the, the perfect myth, the per you know and the perfect mythological story. Um, what Joseph, Joseph, Campbell called it was a, a monomyth. Mm. Um, so he went about this perfectly. I mean, so many of the things, and I don't want to get too, too much into the, into a new hope that one, but you know, it's relevant to the way he sets up each one of these. And he, so many of those myths, the good versus evil, and he even, he even took like names of things. Um, like Qui Gon Jim, for example, Qui Gon Jim is actually. Taken from the word qui gong which is a it's it, it's Mandarin for um uh, like a mentor or a teacher. And in in the mono myth that that Joseph Campbell designed, he always had these certain characters that were relevant to move the story a certain way. And and always, always, always was the mentor character. Which in now in Santa Menace, he's using Qui-Gon. <laughs> He's not even, like, making up a name for it. He's just taking the name from another language that explains Mentor. And the, and the name Mentor originally came from Odyssey. The character's name was Mentor. And from then on, you know, everybody always used Mentor as, like, that character. So it shows up again and again. And, and you and I both know some of our favorite, favorite stories have that theme throughout. And Lucas knew this right from the very beginning. He had that structure. You got, you got Luke and you got Obi-Wan with what he used in in the in, in New Hope. And now in this one, he backtracked. and it, it, it evolves into Anakin, but it's Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon being the mentor in this one. And it's, it's repeated over and over again in the really, really great, great stories. And, and my favorite of all those would be, um, the King Arthur story with King Arthur as a child being raised by Merlin. But, you know, it also shows up in, um, the Back of the Future stories and, uh, the Lord of the Rings book and in mythology, like, again and again. So I'm sure you probably can think of one uh, offhand that's like that, that template mm-hmm. that, you know, is your, from one of your childhood stories that, you know, translates into this. So
0: his script was just fucking awful. It was garbage. You know, I mean, I mean, this movie has been, has been shit on. In so many different languages and so many different cultures, but at the same time, it's been watched over and over and over again. I mean, like you can't stand this movie, but it's in your DVD collection. You saw this movie like six times in the theater, you know? I did. Yeah, you did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've got the subs to show sure. it. Yeah, but I walked out one of the times, so it doesn't count. It was five and a half.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you walked out because you know,
2: um, you know, along those lines of what you're just discussing about that is like. Yes, I mean, there's so much to bash about it, but there's at the same time, there's so much great to talk about it. Because Lucas did do some of the great things in storytelling, like I was just saying about, you know, taking from mythology. His writing is fantastic on certain levels. Mm. Like, as in the big picture, he, he knows what the great epics are. His writing... And, and a lot of other great directors did it too, but he takes from some of the greatest films of all time. And, you know, all, all art does this. All writers do, all great writers do this anyway. They take from their favorite writing, they find out why it was great and they use it. And this is going to show up again and again. We'll probably talk about this again, but, but Lucas was a huge, huge fan of David Lee movies. He was a huge, huge fan of um, John Ford movies. Searchers shows up several, several times. This is probably one of John Ford's most famous movies. He uses that to his advantage. He uses all of the mythological you know, structures and, and motifs, things of that nature. And then when you also bring John Williams into it, John Williams did the same thing. As awesome, awesome, awesome as John Williams is as, as a composer, John Williams was a thief. He stole so much of what he did. He even has some that are like, that are note for note um, theft from certain things but people don't notice it because sometimes it's taken from so long and so far ago and that's what Lucas did too Lucas in in uh, in this one he you know he takes from so many different things he takes from Ben-Hur he, the the whole pod race scene is is you know it is the uh is a homage to the Ben-Hur scene with, with the with the, the chariot race scene. and even how the the two get locked Together at the end, and that's just the way it happened in, in the Ben Hur. Actually, both of them. Hur's. There's two. There's one in uh, 1925, and I think there was another one in, in 1952, which is the one that everyone knows. And that's what happens in both of those. He didn't even he didn't even try to like put a different spin on it. He did the, basically the same thing. And in a lot of the shots from the searchers, he takes and does the almost shot for shot the same thing. Um, one specifically is, is an attack of the clones where Anakin goes back to Tontoine and, and is jumping off the cliff, and they have him like at the top of the cliff, sitting down looking at the Tusken Raiders. And that is literally a shot for shot from a, a, a scene in, in The Searchers that is exactly what, you know, is an exa- exact example of what, what Lucas does. He steals from it. People don't notice it.
0: Tell me, what do you think about the Trade Federation? Like, the whole idea behind it. Like, they didn't really explain much in the movie. They,
2: they didn't. You know what? That's, that comes down to Lucas's um, inability to slowly, you know, divulge all this. Like He wasn't a great mystery writer. You know, he doesn't he doesn't let certain things out at a time. He just basically, oh, well, I'll just tell that in the scroll in the beginning. And that doesn't really, like, that doesn't bode well. I mean, it stays along the same Guidelines and outline that he did before with the, with the original trilogy by having the scroll and explaining what's going on politically. I mean, (laughs) but it just doesn't doesn't involve, involve you know,
0: you're right. He shows too much sometimes, you know, and and he's not good at mystery, you know. I mean, imagine if he filmed Jaws, you know, imagine if Lucas filmed Jaws, you know, you would (laughs) see the shark in every shot. Not only would you see it, you you would see see the the shark's vagina. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You you would see the shark fucking giving birth, a digital scene of the shark talking. I mean, that's, he just wants to show too much, you know. And, and yeah. sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing, and, and maybe that's what made the later movies a little better, since he didn't have the means that he had in this one.
2: Oh, that's exactly what made it so great. He had to go buy other storytelling tools, and with what he was stuck with, is is you know creates great, great storytelling. He was forced to kind of like let things kind of you know slowly develop, um, plant seeds and let it grow, because he didn't have all the all the visuals to do, you know. And he used a lot of legend, like there's a lot of legend. Behind the way the Republic used to be, which, which you know, we'll probably go into this later. But you know, all of the political themes—we we might as well do this now, because we're talking about the trade federation. But a lot of the political themes of everything going on are allegories for things that happen in our own history. Much of, much of you know, the Republic, for example, is like the Roman Empire, and it fell. And he, 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 the time that you're in during New the Hope, they're looking at that. They're talking about that. And they, they talk about the old times. When they create that legend in it, it really it allows you to use the image in your head. You use your own imagination, and the viewer's own imagination is probably one of the greatest things in film. You can't you can't re- you can't recreate that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that.
2: He creates those legends, those things that you know are are he uses as a tool. And now he's going back, and that's what this is about. That's what the prequel trilogy is about: telling that legend. But he he's not create. He didn't do a good job another legend on top of that behind that he basically was just like here's all the stuff that you love let's show it you know we, we're going to patent right now like you know here's the stuff that i love i don't want to, i don't care where it came from but you know I'm, here it is, and I'm going to show it in all its glory, it, but you're showing too much. It's yeah. like the guy, it's like the end of The Wizard of Oz, where, you know, here's the guy behind the curtain, and everyone's just kind of like climactic, you know, anti-climactic. It's like,
0: oh. You like Angelina Jolie? Here's John Voigt's ball sack. <laughs> I
2: don't care where Angelina Jolie came from. I just like Angelina Jolie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I
2: where she came from. No, 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 no. Right. And, but, but you can do that. You can still do that, and Lucas knew he had to do that. He just did a horrible job of that. You know, like here's Darth Vader as a kid. Dude.
0: Damn this kid. Come on! It wasn't that I don't care about when he was a kid. If they made him like you know some little Damien motherfucker from The Omen or something, or just a mute kid, like a real quiet kid, that, yeah, been... that
2: wasn't the point of Vader. Um, the, the point of Vader is because he's a very tragic, tragic story. And, and Lucas was right about this. this he just—I don't think he divulged it properly, but he was very right about this. It's, it's the, it's the good turned tragic. And then he mirrors that in the original trilogy, even though, you know, he wrote them backwards. He took the good part of it and told Luke's story. And Luke is the success story. Vader was the one that was the, um, the tragedy, yeah. but they're both the same path. Well,
0: I guess not, I mean, maybe not so much as like a Damien kid, but maybe more of, you know, m- maybe if he ended up just as a quieter kid, you know, like a good, quiet kid. Cause I mean, think about it. I mean, Your favorite kids aren't the ones that are running around going like, Oh, this is cool. Wow. Your favorite kids are the ones that like are almost more mature, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're good kids. <laughs> well,
2: to be honest with you, if I would have do it, would have done is I wouldn't have shown them that much and there would have been a lot of talk around like the, the Jedi Council and, and the temple. And different people like there's this kid and everyone's talking about him. You don't really show them this up of well, him, in build
0: buildup. Well, show a lot of them like listening and paying attention. Like that's the kind of stuff that kind of respect. When you see somebody willing to learn at a young age, you kind of respect them more, you know.
2: That Luke was Luke was very humble, and um, they didn't they didn't make um, what's his name, Jake Lloyd, uh, An- Anakin, a a, 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 uh, a humble character so much. I mean. He, that, you know what? Bl- we'll blame that on the script writing. The, the dialogue was, was horrendous. Yeah.
0: But I mean, the dialogue and the the fact that I don't think anyone was allowed to to come step up and say like this doesn't feel right. I need to change. I need to change the way I say this. Like, there wasn't that freedom there because everyone was like, Lucas, you are a god. We we've all grown up with Star Wars and you've created the greatest trilogy of all time and blah blah blah. You know, and everyone just thinks that he's so godly and who wants oh, to so step up to God and say, Hey, God, your your script sucks. <laughs> you know?
2: Well, another element too when he did the prequels was that it's all digital, so. People don't even know what's going on. They're like, yeah, yeah, I said these lines. I don't even know what's going on around me. So they're just forced to kind of stick by that, you know, the the ingredients, the the recipe that George Lucas created. They don't even know what's going to happen.
0: Oh, yeah, because his the scripts that went out weren't complete scripts. I think Natalie Portman said in an interview, like, she's never signed – a three-picture oh, yeah, deal before when she hasn't even read a script yet because the secrecy yeah. was so high the actors can't even know what the fuck they're supposed to be doing.
2: Right. That which, doesn't work. Which leads us it. into the next the next subject being that you know some how the actors did in this movie. You and I have talked about this many, many times about certain actors did a fabulous job and some laid made an egg.
0: Well, um, yeah, Ian McDermott did a great job. I've heard people mixed reviews on Liam Neeson but I thought Liam Neeson was fine.
2: I thought he was fantastic and I'm not a huge Liam Neeson fan. I think this is one of his better... Um, showing of of his of his uh, his ability, and, you know, and then we got like Natalie Portman, who's he, a great actress, and she just
0: blew in there Yeah, she wasn't good. So she really wasn't. Uh, this one and the second, well, actually, you know, all three of them she sucked in. But I mean, focusing back on this one, it's I think actually her best performance might have been in, in the first one because she acted more her age. You know, she wasn't trying.
2: A little, she was pushing. got some scenes where she's so stiff, it's kind of it just takes away from the story. Yeah. And in the third, she did a little, you know, she stepped it up, I thought, in the third one a little bit, but in this one, I mean, she's way too stiff, and, and the queen character is like that, but it just did, I don't think it helped the movie at all, but, and then Jake Lloyd, I mean, he was horrendous.
0: Oh, God, you know, like, yeah like I've always wanted to get the negative the original like edit of the movie where there's no the sound hasn't been added yet I would love to make my own version of this movie because I would cut out you know anytime Jake Lloyd talked I would just fucking cut it cut it right there (laughs) I would make him the mute kid if he was mute in this movie that would be a better movie if Jar Jar didn't talk or you just get someone to dub his lines over and then put subtitles underneath him yeah that's something
2: that I've felt kind of like the Greedo scenario yeah exactly
0: like you you can't read Greedo's lip they don't match up to what he's saying so in Star Wars if you just put over, just get anybody in there and be like, I shouldn't you know, it's like alright, and then write whatever the fuck he's the point he needs to get across, if he ever needs to talk, period. Yeah. Keep him like Chewbacca where he just really doesn't...
2: Got- Jar Jar was actually, though, he, Lucas was going back to what Campbell, you know, had said to do when creating a story, and he was using Jar Jar the way he used 3PO and, and he did it, he didn't do it right, but he did. he did the procedure right because Jar Jar was supposed to be for the kids, and he was supposed to be goofy and silly, and he's supposed to allow viewers of a certain age to grow up. Because if you do look at Jar Jar by the third one, he is an adult by that one. He's, he's, he's got responsibility, he's, he's responsible for certain things as far as, like, you know, the little kids in it. He's also responsible for something within the, uh, within the Republic politics. Um, so he did grow up, and he did that procedure right. It just was like, you know, by, by retarding some, it just it didn't work.
0: No, it really did. It didn't work. It
2: did. He did, he did, he went through the procedure correctly. It just didn't work. Now what he should have done, because he, 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 needed to have his comic release. he should have just used 3PO and, and R2D2 the exact way they were used in the new Hope. The well,
0: movie. you know, there's I mean, also, not, there's a problem there too. A lot of people have a problem with, there's no need for R2D2 and C3PO to, to be in this movie at all. Other than for nostalgic. Yeah, they're
2: all there because you know he wants to show, oh, this is where they came from, this is the origin of them. But yeah, they're robots. How many origin stories of robots do you give a rat's ass about?
0: You like three PO? Here's his ball sack. Who gives a shit? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Literally, like you and I have talked about this a million times. There should have been boom. They're just there. They're already there. That's how that. That's how it was. You, you didn't question it. Yeah. Nobody, said, nobody ever said. What's the legend of 3PO
0: in R2-D2? Well, I, they- I remember opening night when I saw this movie in, in a packed theater, right? And I remember the the moment that they they introduced R2-D2 and it was like, um, what's his number? You know, and it's like R2-D2. And the fucking crowd went nuts. And I guarantee you, Lucas was thinking that's what he wanted, was the crowd to go nuts on opening night to say, you know, like, he didn't think long term, like, Okay, we've heard his name a thousand fucking times before. We don't care anymore. I think he, he really was going for Now,
2: on the same token, he's, it's, he kept from putting in the, the, um, the jump to hi- hyperspace. That iconic light flashing in your face because you wanted the first time you see that in A New Hope to be the first experience of that. And he's like, he's, he's transcribed those too. And it should have been the other way around. He should have had that throughout the whole trilogy because he would have gotten the exact same effect. You know, everyone cheering because, oh, RTD 2 was dead right at the beginning. Everyone cheers there. The crowd would have cheered at the first sight of the jump to hyperspace.
0: I don't see why it was such a big deal to have that be like, oh, the first... Because, I mean, if, if you watch them from 1 through 6 and you get to episode 4 and you're like... And you see the jump to hyperspace, you're like, what the fuck was that? What you did, yeah. from, from the point of view, if you've never seen the it all before and you watch it all, you know... The way that he and Lucas intends you to watch it, you get to that one, you're like, well, they never did that before. That must be an old cheesy effect that uh, is outdated now or something. It should have been in all of them. That way it flowed through.
2: It definitely should have been in all of them. Like I said though, that everyone would have cheered when they first did it at the beginning of Phantom Menace. Yeah, but they never had that experience. He, he, like, cause you're gonna get your cheers. It's just a matter of how you write it, right? And he went towards like, ooh, when they say R2-D2, everyone's gonna get a woody. <laughs>
0: I've been to I've been to a million midnight movies for like Lord of the Rings or fucking Harry Potter, and and they all get their cheers. But I don't think anything got as much cheers in a movie like as this one did. Like the audience participation in this, I mean, it was almost on the level of Rocky Horror Picture Show, where you're like people are just the logo, the Lucasfilm logo comes up and people went fucking nuts. They a long time ago when a galaxy far away pops up, everyone in the theater was going crazy, right? And then it got real yeah, yeah. quiet. And then anytime they mentioned anything that had to do with the original trilogy, people.
2: were So like, really it didn't matter what he did, he was going to get those. Two. Exactly. Yeah. He, he just he 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 performed poorly and in, in, or he executed poorly in in bringing those things uh, those elements to the table. And I wish he hadn't done that because R2D2 is still just a robot. He's simple. They, they've already. It's now the beginning of the trilogy, the very beginning of, or of the two trilogies. And already they're they're taking. R2D2, and they're making him this big iconic character right from the moment they say his name right there, and that that destroys the whole process right there because the concept of R2 and 3PO is is and this goes back to you know the the, um, the hero of uh, with thousand faces, Joseph Campbell, creating that very humble character, very small David and Goliath, uh, you know David being the, the the smaller being accomplishing something that character. Climbing through this journey. And by doing that, you've elevated them too much at that point. You know, like a great example is the hobbit, Bilbo Baggins. He's this simple little hobbit and he goes on this great adventure and he ends up being like the hero of the great adventure. They've taken that away by, by glamorizing R2D2 at the beginning. They should have just been, they should have just existed. R2 and 3PO should just been like these humble servants to the queen. No explanation needed.
0: When I first saw this, I remember, like, the feeling of it really feeling like 30 years before the, you know, or 35 years or whatever it was before, um, uh, you know, the first Star Wars trilogy. It, it actually, it, it did capture that quite well. Like, I really felt like I was in, like, a, a comfortable time zone. Like, it, it, it yeah, did that. It, it did its job up. there, because I remember feeling like, and, and still, when I go back and I look at episode one, it's still a movie I watch a lot yeah. of Star Wars fans.
2: Along those lines, though, to go, to go back to complaints. He did want to create like a different world, the time periods different. And one of the problems I do have is is he invented too many new types of ships and things, um, because you did fall in love with those in the original trilogy, and you only get like this little sort of glimpse of where the the concept came from. But it's only 35 years ago. I mean, the Millennium Falcon looks older than 35 years old. So. I always felt like you should have used a little more of the themes and and the designs of the vehicle and the sets and things of that nature. Somewhere in between what he did and what it used, what shows up in the old
0: trilogy. When Obi Wan in Episode Four mentions the, you know, before the dark time, Clone Wars, and yes. the way he says it, it really feels like, you know, it was like sixty, seventy years ago. Yes. Like, like he was a kid when it happened, and and he's an old man now. You know, I mean, and when you look at the time frame of it, it was like twenty years ago that he dropped off. It
2: would have been like uh, Luke was supposed to be in the eighteen twenties talking it's about 17 years or
0: years. 18 years' time. And and when you're that old, time flies. I mean, I'm thirty, almost 34 years old now, and, and I remember being 20 like it was yesterday. So it, I don't think of it as a long time ago. But they really made these movies feel distant. Like this first one felt distant enough from that one. Where you really yeah, felt like the golden age. That
2: it was definitely some distance. And, and the, the world is very, very distinct and, and different from it. I, I just wish it wasn't so distinct. It can look new, though. That's one of the things he wanted to have is he wanted to have all the all the images and everything be glorious and new and then you know the old trilogy be like the the rotten beaten down uh you know rebellion type time period
0: with Naboo and I think the set design on Naboo is is just gorgeous basically it's Italy it's like the the nicest parts of Italy dressed up with a couple robots and shit there's your Naboo palace and it looks great I've played a lot of you know Star Wars video games that are all spun off from the uh the prequels there was a game called Obi-Wan that came out in like 2001 with the original Xbox whenever you get to the levels of Naboo and you know you know, when you fight Darth Maul and all that stuff. It's stuff, it's, it's a fun world to explore. And they never really had that much of that. Like It's almost like he almost had video games and online entertainment in mind for the new generation of people that are out there because the worlds are more fun to explore than like, video games where you go through the Death Star. Those games weren't as, as good. And they, they've made games like that where you're in the Death Star and things like that, but the worlds aren't as comfortable to be in. They're darker to be in the games for some reason. And, and I'm talking pretty much all the games I've ever played. I've played a lot of Star Wars games. Not to dorkify myself here, but I can tell the comfort level of when I'm when I'm playing in, in the prequels versus when I'm playing in the original trilogy. And I think Lucas he just he really captured something and really expanded the universe. The, the universe the, of Star Wars didn't really expand to the level of, of what it did until the prequels started coming about.
2: Yeah, that was the technology restraint. But at the same time, and, and, and that goes back to you know with the limitations that he had was. It made it more intimate. You were stuck with these characters and, and the little world that they were trying to deal with. Their world looked bigger, so he had to, you know, he had to use that device to create that. And now in this one, he's got this gigantic universe that you've now expanded to, and and now the characters expand out further, and it takes it away from that. You you can't use that as well. He should have focused, because he did have some key characters. He should have focused a lot more on them and less of all the nonsense that was going on. But he could have kept that, it's just from that point of view.
0: I remember when I first saw the first trailer for this, when it came out.
2: Yeah, you went ballistic. You just were all of a sudden like, oh my god, this guy is just going to, you know, hit a home run again. This is unbelievable. I, just,
0: I remember, just, we, we me and you had a conversation when we saw the trailer, and this is how naive we were at the time. Because we looked at this and we were like, this is unbelievable. going to be the greatest achievement in filmmaking ever. This is going to win best picture. This is going to sweep the Academy Award. We were that sucked in going like, this is it. This is, what if I die before this comes out? What the fuck's going to happen?
2: No, I actually worried about this. Yeah, that.
0: I did too. I worried I might die before I got to see this movie.
2: And now look at it. Like, we look back on this and this is like.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean. Not even
2: like, I'm like talking. When
0: When, you know, when this came out, I had just graduated film school. I was in my film snob zone. I've transitioned from like, when I was a kid, I liked everything. You know, the crappiest movies in the world I fucking love. When I went to film school, all of a sudden they're teaching me all these new things and I'm just like, wow, th- those movies do suck. Wow, Friday the 13th Part 7, that's, that's actually not the best movie of all time. What the fuck, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, so I'm all, like, fine-tuning, like, you know, all these things, and even with all that, even being the film snob that I was, I looked at this trailer and when the movie came out, and I was like, this is unbelievable. Even, the, like, for me, it fucking blew my mind away, you know? I mean, the critics that were a little older, I think they, they were more in tune to it. I think Metacritic gave it a 52, and, you know, and then it wasn't until uh, after, years after, film school that I started to realize like, wow, I'm starting to hate movies. So I started to go back to where I was as a kid and, and just enjoy movies, production value and the set design, the lighting, all those things that I started to hate so much when I got out of film school. But uh, this movie was impossible to fail because of it just being so awe. So like part of your...
2: When you say failed, you mean fail from a... a a blockbuster financial. oh yeah yeah
0: the, i i mean as far as commercial success it was there, there was yeah. no way it was gonna fail like they could have just not even shown a clip from the movie star wars episode one coming out not shown anything there would have been a line out the fucking door. Yeah. Oh agree. Trailers were not necessary for this movie. Some critic came out and said the new Star Wars movie is trash, don't go see it. It's I guess I'll cancel my eight o'clock in the morning after the midnight showing ticket that I bought already for the second showing.
2: Yeah, you know what's funny is I did stand in line and I actually bought several tickets for several shows. For a movie I haven't even seen
0: yet. You bought several tickets?
2: Yeah, I bought, I bought a ticket because it was, it sold out like crazy. I stood in line for probably three hours.
0: Where, me, were you uh, living in Boston then or?
2: Yeah, I lived, I lived in, uh, I lived in Franklin and, um, I, I actually, uh, went with, uh, in, and, uh, stood in line with him and we made a day of it. Spent the whole day there. It was a festival. It so, so fun. there
0: it was. It was nuts. Was there a lot of people dressed up?
2: People were dressed up. Yeah. It was the middle of summer, so um, well not the middle, hey. but it was
0: it was hot there. And, May nineteenth. Get your fucking facts right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there was nobody dressed up like Chewbacca, but there was people wearing like you know uh, Jedi outfits. You know, people dressed up like Obi Wan and Luke and stuff like that, and uh, people had you know hats and swords. We were hacking in line, I remember.
0: I remember the the showing I went to was at the uh, the ABC Towers, you know, the two towers out there. Yep. Um, there was a theater right underneath that, and I think they have like six screens, and they just dedicated all of them to Star Wars. The Mummy was like, it was a huge movie that came out two weeks before that. They just gutted that right out of the theater. So we don't care if you're still making money. Star Wars is going to make... So there was like, it was on six screens, and uh it was like, they didn't have it set up proper. It was a madhouse. People rushing to get into, you know, the, everyone that had been there had pretty much known ahead of time what the best screen was. Well, we know Theater One's not that good, so everyone was rushing... For like theaters six and six and five, you you got fucked. You were at one and two, and and I was fucked, and I got to one and two. I, I went with Pat actually. We went uh, and when we got there, it was like our seats were bad. It wasn't even stadium seating. We get in there and there's just a concession roll cart going through there. They were bringing the popcorn to you, and they were selling toy lightsabers, and it was a fucking madhouse. I could not believe
2: it. It was crazy, you
0: know. And then probably the biggest
2: event as far as films go. And it's weird because like I didn't get to experience. Star Wars, the original, in, in all that story, but it was very similar to that. You know, I've seen documentaries on just you know the extravaganza of it. I saw Star Wars as a kid in the theater then, but I was four years old. I, didn't, I don't have a memory of all the nonsense. I distinctly remember seeing Empire and Return of the Jedi.
0: I remember seeing Empire, and that's weird because I was four years old, and that was the movie that made me want to become a filmmaker, was uh, was uh, Empire Strikes Back. And today, uh, it's it's actually my, still my number one favorite movie of all time. Right.
2: Uh, empire empire on so many so many levels is is the the greatest film the greatest story you know and thank god lucas didn't actually direct that one you know i don't want to go too too much into empire because that's not the one we're discussing here but but empire was the tragedy the major tragedy that on so many levels was an unbelievable story great great romance too Um, for the two of them falling in love because it was unexpected. They hated each other's guts throughout the whole thing. Oh, yeah. None of the characters got along. You know, by the time... You get to return to the Jedi. They're all like, "Hey, buddy, hey, pal," and it's, and it's, it doesn't work anymore.
0: Yeah, Je- Jedi eating. had a lot of you know. It was almost good that Jedi helped you transition and get ready for the cheesiness that was about to come. Yeah. Because Jedi had uh, like a taste of the cheese that was in the prequels.
2: And, and you know, one thing I'd like to touch on: Jedi was actually supposed to be directed by Spielberg, but because of Lucas's you know exile from the from the uh, directors
0: guilds, the academy,
2: yeah, the directors guild. He couldn't take on any directors that were in the in the guild, Mm. so um, Spielberg had to turn it down. So he was stuck. Who was it, Martin?
0: Uh, Richard Markwind.
2: Yeah, and he pretty much was just a yes man for Lucas, which you know for the most part did hurt it. But I I really had hoped that in this prequel, Lucas was gonna not direct all of them because he 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 was a great I don't say a great storyteller. He was a great story writer. And then you have other people that step up and that could have like flushed out the dialogue and, and, and pulled out some of the corniness that was there and, and, and polished up his script. And then you take somebody like Irvin Kirchner, not one of the greatest directors of all time, but he had all of the tools at his disposal um, to create one of the best movies and he was he did work well with the actors. Um, he created the intimacy that was needed in Empire. Another director could have done that with any one of these prequel prequel films, and unfortunately it was Lucas that you know directed all three of them. But
0: let's go back to Episode One here and and talk about um, the best thing about Episode One, and I think it's pretty much hands down unanimous with everybody. Darth Maul. Darth Maul. is He was. He was the best thing here by far.
2: Yeah, and Darth Maul, he did one of the things that Lucas was actually missing from a lot of the characters and a lot of the setups and everything. Less was more. Darth Maul was the Boba Fett of the, of the prequel trilogy. You, you saw less of him. He didn't talk much. You know, he barely spoke. He's very mysterious. And they really did build up the, the, the battle, um, the fight at the end. You had that little taste on Tantoine where he shows up to stop them before they're getting on the on the ship. They have a boom, boom, boom little fight, and you're like, "Whoa, this is going to be good." When they finally, he finally does catch.
0: Yeah, there was actually that that fight. The, the the first one on Tatooine was supposed to be longer. It was supposed to go onto the ship.
2: It was just the right amount.
0: Yeah, of time. well, uh, what was supposed to happen was uh, Quaggan was gonna and Qui-Gon yeah. was gonna cut the landing platform off the ship in order to get Darth Maul off it, w- it was probably gonna be twice as long and, and I'm glad they did not I'm glad they just simplified it and just said look here's a lightsaber just so you know he's got a single bladed lightsaber which we didn't know at that time You know, well other than the fact that we'd seen the trailers and dissected the shit out of him you weren't supposed to see it was a double bladed lightsaber until you got to the huge fucking fight and that fight to me is probably the best choreographed fight in the whole Star Wars saga I thought there was a little
2: too much flipping around but was a- the goal
0: age of the Jedi, when the Jedi were at yeah. their, their top. Yeah, fair and that's what I like about it. But you know, if you compare that lightsaber duel to, you know, obviously not the episode four, because that was just, you know, old man versus robot, the uh, Empire and Jedi.
2: Empire had, I think Empire had the best. The
0: dialogue and the tension between father and son is what made those better. It wasn't the acrobatics of, of Empire Jedi but in episode one it it was they had to go to the acrobatics because there was no fear and love between Uh, you know any of these characters at all you needed to fear for their lives and they really they they really set that up by like making him see it they
2: did try they did try to create the fact that like no one's seen a sis in so so long so that when these Jedi do face him there, there was that you know element of this being you know a very climactic battle well they caught they caught him
0: off guard and, yeah. they, they, exactly. and they, they captured exactly. that very well the element of surprise what the hell's going on like when the Jedi who are the smartest motherfuckers in the galaxy they, when they don't know what's going on all of a sudden you're scared because you're going along this journey with the Jedi in this one and they know everything and they wave their hands and these aren't the droids you're looking for and that's who they are but in this one this is the only thing that they were unsure of
2: about. Wow, this has even got me stumped. <laughs> um but you know what you know what's interesting? I, I actually think this is something that Lucas had overdone, but but there was a there was a, a method to his madness, and this goes along the lines of like the you know, the, the Merlin and, and King Arthur and the mentoring concept was something that, that Joseph Campbell talked about in his book was that the mentors come and go and there's always a changing of the guard. And so with that said he wanted to create that throughout the film. That's why Dark Maul had to die. I, I think it's unfortunate. I think it was a mistake. He shouldn't have done it. But that was the method to his madness. They had to continuously move on, and there had to be a mentor and and, and a uh, an apprentice, and then it had to move on to the next one. There had to be a constant. And, and
0: you know, I don't agree with that. I think that was the wrong approach. I think that th- there should be allowed to be, like, maybe the best apprentice or an alpha apprentice. You didn't yeah. need to have... There could only be two, so I'm like... well what when he did when
2: he made that that like formula he took he took from a lot of like japanese spiritualism and and mythology and and that that's fine it's just that you didn't have to do it so systematically you didn't have to kill Darth Maul and Qui-Gon in the first one and then go on to the next one and count he didn't have to die and so on and so on and, and like Obi-Wan his dying was appropriate it was just too much it was too much transition it was too robotic he he could have had you know less of that But I do understand, you know, one mentor, one apprentice. That
0: was- In defense of the uh, Sith One Apprentice, I do agree with this. If there was multiple Siths, then by the time you were watching Jedi, you would have been like, okay, uh, you got you and Vader, like you don't feel like breeding a couple more. So it's almost yes, like here's why there's only two of them, which I get yeah. that. It's just, as far as these these movies go, I would have liked to have seen more. Or at least like Sith Apprentice you know, wannabe that were out there, that fallen Jedi's. More fallen Jedi's would have been good. Where they weren't Sith Lords, they were just bad Jedi's. Kind of like wanting to get to that
2: like robe.
0: Yeah, But uh, as and, and it's going back to Darth Maul as a character. In the expanded universe, he lives, and they pull the whole 180 on you and, like they did with Boba Fett, where Boba Fett didn't die in the Sarlacc pit. He actually came back. a whole bunch of crap afterwards. They did the same thing with him. They gave him the Boba Fett treatment, where uh, he actually has robotic legs. His horns have grown out a lot further, and his like, deer heads tattoos have changed all over his face. He was actually a lot scarier in the book, and there's also a prequel book that came out just I, I think it's just called Darth Maul. They go into a lot of the history of him and, and where he came from, and I don't want to get too much into that, but it's, it's a good book. It's uh, you know if you're into the Star Wars universe, I I recommend uh, you know looking at it. Or
2: no, no no actually going back to going back to that, um, and it didn't have to necessarily be Darth Maul, but there was always that myth that that legend that I was talking about that they created, and they could have done a little more with Palpatine.
0: Yeah, uh, Palpatine, he, he was kind of subtle in this movie, but here's something that the subtlety did for the Star Wars fans is this movie, you know, as much as everyone bashes it, what you didn't see in going back to what you said about like Jaws, the imagination kind of the inspired imagination takes off here. What you didn't see made people talk forever especially about there's a pod race scene where there's a girl um, and she's just watching the pod race and they have like it's a shot of Anakin going by and you see her kind of look you know the camera's behind her shoulder after episode one came out everyone had talked and talked about that character like that's going to be somebody important I think she's there to watch over Anakin she's there the Emperor sent her there, there was so much shit about her
2: you know I was actually curious to know about that because that was was that rumor that was just put out there or was that something that Lucas had said or somebody important and it said that created that that idea because i do remember that was um
0: lucas deciding to say nothing and let people run wild with it a lot of uh, production companies and writers have learned to do that like they'll send out a casting rumor they'll spread a rumor just so they can hear the feedback from it
2: now that that parallels uh, boba fett because boba fett shows up in the original but they cut the scene and then you know the, the, the toy figure came out with part of the original star wars Toy line, but yet nobody saw who Boba Fett was, and it created this this anticipation for him that when it would later show up in, in Empire, and that's what this parallel. People thought that was something similar when you did see that. You know, she looked like a bounty hunter that was was you know it was it was a blatant shot where they showed this this one character looking you know looking on to see Anakin, and everyone wondered what you know what that's about, and it did it really did parallel the way they did Boba Fett. Later and on. And I
0: think that's what makes you know uh, that's one of the things you have to give credit to Lucas to is his uh, ability to spark the imagination of everybody else
2: like the cypher d s he left you hanging like okay, well, I'm gonna create this mystery and then I'm not gonna tell you anything about it and just leaves you hanging
0: yeah the the cipher d s one was um
2: that is a real letdown for for a lot of yeah. Things.
0: Because that was a little bit more in your face. It was an explanation from the, the Dark Lord.
2: It was almost like a subplot. It was almost like a Hitchcockian, uh, you know, device used to create, uh, a Guffin that Hitchcock called it a Guffin, the Guffin. And, um, you know, he creates that device that everyone's like centered around, like, this is the mystery that's got to be solved. And then, but, you know, Hitchcock would always give you, the, you know, the answer at the end or he'd give you the mystery and, you know, resolve it. Yeah, yeah. This was pretty blatant. This is actually poor writing on, on on Lucas's part, where he created this this MacGuffin and then didn't didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the only example of that being done where it wasn't resolved, but there was a purpose to it, and it it, it was it was the it, um pulp fiction where where they have the case and everyone keeps saying like, is that what I think it is? And they're like, yes, yeah. and that's really what it was. It was what you think it is. But that was a moving force throughout the whole movie, and it was left for your own imagination. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: I mean, everybody had said, oh, it's Marcellus <laughs> Wallace's soul and all that crap. And and that's what it was,
2: because that's what it what was supposed to be. It was supposed to be whatever you think it is, and you thought it was gold, so that's what it was. Yeah. Now, this this, this is a poor comparison because um, Tarantino was very successful at, at using his MacGuffin in that case with the siphon, Lucas failed. It was just he just piqued everyone's interest and then just left everybody. And, and he didn't he didn't even build up anticipation for it. He just kind of like you know created a mystery that, that uh Obi Wan Kenobi's going on and then Obi Obi Wan Kenobi never even finished the journey. He just gave up on it and never never found out.
0: Yeah. It was uh...
2: very very that was one of the core um, writing.
0: The pod race is, to me, the second best part of the movie. And a lot of people are like, the pod race was fucking gay and blah, 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 whatever. I thought the pod race was the shit. I still enjoy the pod race when I watch it.
2: Some people some people do like it. And there was a purpose to it. Lucas didn't just go, Hey, eh, let's have a pod race. There was a lot of reason behind it. Um, he was an avid, avid car racer. So he was bringing his own interest into it. which is. I, I love when, when, actually as a writer, that's what they tell you to do: write what you love, write what you know, and write what you love, and do it with passion because that's what you will have passion for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was correct. You know, some people liked the Padres, some people didn't. But he was a huge fan of the, of the Ben Hur stories, and specifically the one with Charlton Heston, and that was done just like, it, especially with the whole ending. I discussed that earlier, so that's what that that's the whole point of that
0: the uh the two commentators in the mix of that pod race that oh god gotcha.
2: was that the guy from whose line is it anyway one of the the, the really talented uh improv actors i'm not I'm, sure
0: i'm not sure about that i remember that was the first out of the whole movie when i first saw it that was the first time in the movie i looked over to pat during the movie and i was like what the f- are you kidding me you gotta be kidding me like would have been better
2: than that the two grumpy old men from the muppet movie yeah. <laughs> that would have been better that would have been even like even if you did him as like really crappy muppet like, <laughs> like that would have even been more realistic than the <laughs> it would have, like, you know, like <laughs> head and guy that was like you know he was right out of uh, you know uh a-, a comedy
0: scene. You know, and you really you didn't even need them there commentating. If you cut God. them out, you could figure out for yourself, okay, this is a race, who's in first. You don't need them going like Anakin's taking the lead, oh it's your pot, right. We don't need that. We don't need that. We're supposed to believe Anakin's this, you know, great pilot, and he's just a naturally gifted pilot. I lost believability for him flying. In the pod race, I was like, Okay, he's a good pilot. Like he he knows what he's doing here. I'm really proud of him. And it's a good time for him not to talk. <laughs> when he gets into the ship at the end of the movie, let's try turning left. I'm like, oh, you're really at fucking basics here, pal. You are so at basics. And now you're going to go in there and blow up a fucking mini Death Star? Give me a break.
2: As, as a script writer, you should know in dialogue that, like, sometimes you don't need dialogue when you're doing something. The action actually serves as your dialogue or your storytelling.
0: That, you know, I could see oh, if that I was added that. in pickups. Like, if you tested the movie, right, and the people were like, I don't understand, how did he learn to fly? I, I would really appreciate a shot of him saying, let me try turning left. Take me through fucking, you know, put my hands on the wheel, 10 and 2, Let's figure this shit out together, you know?
2: Spinning. Oh, that's a cool movie. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs>
0: if you cut him talking through that entire thing, that whole scene is improved like 60% right there. The droids. All right. Now the droids, when they came out, they're not stormtroopers. At this point, we were like, well, we know the clones are coming, so we're all excited about that. The problem I had with them was that they're not menacing. They're not real. They're fucking digital. They're not menacing because they're digital.
2: The dark side or, you know, the, the, um, the Galactic Empire learns from their mistakes saying that like, okay, droids, we can't do that. That ups the ante when they create the concept of clones. And that's the reasoning behind that. So, so there is, there is, again, there, there's being, you know, a little method to his madness there and there's a reason for that. And that's why I like that. And I actually like the voice of the droids. They could have been a little less dorky, but, but it works.
0: I I like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, they weren't so bad in this, and and once you get to like the um, the the new Clone Wars cartoons that are the the, that are out now, which are I I really enjoy them. I think they're good. Then they get really comedic in that one where they start, you know, joking around and you know talking about what they did the night before and stuff, and and and, I mean,
2: that's kind of. I don't even consider this that that's not canon at all. That's you know complete.
0: No, movie. it's 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 not. expanded universe. You can accept it or not. You know, Superman 4, you know, do you accept that movie or not? It's part of that original canon, yes, but you can choose not to accept it. Well, you know, and speaking of, of Superman 4, episode 1, a lot of people I've heard, you know, would, are so upset about it where they go, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. And all I could think of is like, dude, rent Beverly Hills Cop 3, okay? Go rent Superman 4. You know, go. You know, fuck that. Go rent Batman and Robin, all right? And you tell me what's a better movie. And if you say Batman and Robin's better than Episode One, then I mean, because Episode One is, you know, it's it, it is bad in a, on a lot of levels, but it's great on a lot of levels too. And it's you you have to divide it, it. You have to divide it.
2: it. It's, it's huge. It's big. You know, the, a lot of the ingredients that that Lucas put into this is fantastic, and he goes back to his old methods, his Joseph Campbell methods, and his. His motifs with, you know, the themes of certain characters going on and on with mythology. He did do so much of it great. There's just, there's so many blaring little, uh, you know, Easter eggs throughout this that are like retarded that that's why people complain about it.
0: Alright, well, let's look at this movie from, if you never saw any other Star Wars movie, right, and this was like the beginning of the Star Wars movies, you know, and you saw this first. Now, well, still, you'd probably, still you, you'd, you'd still like it. it. I think there'd be a lot less hatred because the expectations would have been low. Yeah,
2: exactly, yeah, there wouldn't be the hatred for because, you wouldn't because I mean, like
0: let's you. face it, you know, in our conversations growing up, we had talked about what's going to happen over and over and over again, and we had come up with better stories than this, and Lucas wouldn't, you know, he, there was no internet at the time, for him. Him to listen to or get feedback on. I had written a version of the prequels a thousand times. I never actually wrote anything physically down, but in my head, I, I had a whole, I had a whole movie in place. I accepted this when it came out, but later on, it was like this didn't match the script that I wrote. In Lucas's defense, you know, um, I'm the fucking billionaire. I wrote this. Just watch my shit and shut up.
2: He did have the luxury of of not caring what anyone around him said. He, did. he made this for
0: him. Just his home camera is a little bit nicer than ours.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, this this was for him. Bear in mind, his kid. You know, he was very uh, father oriented at the time. He he took so much time off to be a father. So he's he's changed. He's not the same as when he wrote the original trilogy. So it is a little more kid oriented.
0: There were so many scenes in this movie where, like, and I think this goes back to the R two D two introduction, where anytime anything. From the originals was shown at all. The Jawas, the Sand People, were, it was almost like a reminder to them. Hey, guess what? This is the Star Wars. In case so, you're not yeah. following this, here's a quick flash. Almost like the you know in
2: Fight Club. There was the occasional um, cameo of certain characters. that was unnecessary. Like Jabba the Hutt shows up, and he wasn't necessary.
0: Yeah, he wasn't necessary. And it's nice to
2: have him, but actually, he could have been. He could have been used more.
0: Well, that's the funny. Funny that you mentioned that. I was just about to say in the um, Star Wars Episode One video game uh, when this. Came out for Sony PlayStation One. Um, oh, yeah. The in the game, like you have to go to Jabba and talk to him about the shit with um, Watto, you know, and what went down and how he wouldn't give you your stuff back. And you know what? It
2: would have been actually interesting to show another perspective of the of the Hut, where he's the good guy because because one of the things people don't understand about Jabba the Hutt is he wasn't necessarily a bad guy. He just had his role and what he was doing at the time, and it was. It was contrary to Han
0: Solo. Well, they got a lot more into the Jabba the Hutt story in the, uh, the Clone Wars, uh, digital movie where, um, he has a son apparently named Stinky and, uh, he gets kidnapped by, uh, um, <laughs> Count Dooku and, uh, there's a I huge battle over that, Stinky that, and, he, it, and apparently Stinky really does stinky farts a lot in the movie and stuff. So, so yeah. apparently Jabba's got a farting <laughs> little shit on <about> his <laughs> son. After. What'd you say? He's like the ghost from Ghostbusters. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they call them. Slimer. Slimer, yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. No, but the, the interesting point, though, that, that you're trying to make on that, though, is is the Jedi's are helping the huts, and it's all a political move. So there's no good guys, bad guys. It's interesting when at times when when they show their roles, and this is their stance at this point, and this is their stance at another point. And I like that in storytelling when they do shift gears like that. And I would have liked to have seen a little more of a political stance on Jabba the Hutt. Because one of the interesting points is, and they didn't develop it that much with the trade federation, was they had their role in what was going on. And the Hutt's were not interested in that. It didn't affect them because they were such an outlanding um sector of the galaxy that it wasn't irrelevant yeah you know and then you have the scene with the tuscan raiders where they're driving by the pod race the pod race is going by they're flying by and they're shooting at them that wasn't actually necessary that was just another one of lucas's like you know get off from from showing that the reason why i don't feel it was necessary is because they were very relevant in the of the Clone. so you get to see them then
0: yeah and we'll get into that that one in the next podcast but uh uh, you know, I really, I could not stand the, the way that they depicted the sand people in that film. They live in the middle of the fields, because they so much more, like, it's like, you know, if you see the landscape of Tatooine with all these caverns and all this shit, and the sand people decide to live out in the open.
2: There was, he was paying tribute to his, his fan, John, John Ford, and the searchers, and what, I don't know if you know the story of the searchers, but they, they kidnapped the, the little Indian girl, who was actually Natalie Wood, the famous actress. Natalie Wood, who, who drowned. They kidnap her, and, and the, the Native Americans in that are representative of the Tuscan Raiders, and that's what Lucas was doing. You now, if you pick up on that, maybe you appreciate them a little more, but it, you know, if not, and he may, he may have hit, hit the ball, you know. Well, yeah, you're there. talking
0: about story-wise. I'm talking about, uh, set design and production value. That, that was yeah. one of my critical production
2: values. you're talking about where it was a shot-for-shot scene from the searchers where he jumps down and goes off. To, uh, to attack the Russian Raiders camp. And that's why he did it that way, because he probably wanted to, you know, effectively pay homage to the searchers. But... You're saying you didn't, you, know, you didn't like the way they were living their lives.
0: I'd seen, I'd seen an, a different yeah, version in an, in another game. It was episode two game. There's a scene where you go into the Tuscan Raiders camp and it was, it was a more accurate, they were living in the caverns and like, you know, they, they had like a civilization almost. And now, it looked one, great. One thing, if
2: you were to look at Native Americans or, you know, a good example now would be, um, you know, some of the, the rebels in, in the, uh, in the Middle East, depending on your tribe, some live in taverns, some live like right on the prairies in TPEs, things like that. So these Specific Tuscan Raiders may have been a tribe that were prairie tribes.
0: Avatar, they had that where um, there were exactly. big Smurfs yeah. living on the water, there were big Smurfs in the trees, and there was big Smurfs out in the field.
2: Yes. You know, to explain what's going on with that, that's, that's why one would be one and one the other. And that's why these are in the...
0: In looking at the universe in Star Wars, if you could pick a place to live in this universe, like, where would you go? Where would you hang out? Where would your apartment be in the
2: galaxy? Out regard to knowing the, the outcome, Alderon. <laughs> Alderon's gorgeous. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's a shame they didn't uh, show much, Ron, because Alderon was the... um
0: That's funny. That's like, where would you like your office to be? The 81st floor of the World Trade Center. Yeah, but
2: that's not a beautiful place to live.
0: No, but it's just going to blow up.
2: N- Naboo would be good, too. Naboo is actually, like, he used the word Naboo, and, and this goes back to Lucas. He doesn't even try very hard with changing names. He just takes a name from something historical or something from a religion or, or something from another... Something old enough people don't know what it is. And he just used it. Naboo means God. And he actually created the Naboo to be, the, you know, the classic scene from a David Lean movie. You know, specifically, um, Florence of Arabia. Yeah. That's, that's the epitome of that. Cause they had all the scenes where they were doing their planning and it wasn't in the desert, but they were at the, you know, the oasis. That, that's what he was trying to create with that. Naboo was actually, you know, with the Queen Amadala. Queen Amadala was, was taken from the name from mythology that was the goddess of wisdom and had two children, that were it was Apollo and Artemis, and uh, that's who Luke and Leia are supposed to be. So he he created. There was a lot of thought that went into Naboo, and and what he was trying to create with that.
0: That every planet you go to in this universe, there's only um, there's only one climate. Yeah. If you want to go snowboarding, you got to got to go to Hoth for vacation. Well, so gotta-
2: the reason that that came about was when he did the original trilogy, he had only different places in the world to go to to film it. So he's like, okay, well this will be an ice planet. This will be a desert planet. This will be you know a forest planet. It was a Theme for the first three films in the original trilogy. He didn't do that here. Well, one of the interesting things, though, is there was anticipation for Coruscant. You, you know, you, you get to see Coruscant, finally, in this film. But, you know, it's interesting, a lot of people don't know this, is he never named or mentioned Coruscant in any way, and he never even had a concept for Coruscant. He just created the center of the universe idea. Um, never touched on it, and Coruscant's not even mentioned or, or said until one of the encyclopedias in the early 90s. So Lucas didn't even name Coruscant; someone else named it for him.
0: Then there was the first shot you ever see a Coruscant is in the special edition Return of the Jedi, yep. and it was actually it was where they they had the same platform in there, and they used that platform as where they landed in Episode One to try to bridge the gap there a little bit. Um, yeah,
2: there's a little bit of symbolism there too, where they where they pull down the, the, the statue. Um, that's shown up in history many times too, like, the, you know, the tearing down of the wall or, um, Stalin's statue being torn down. It's shown up in a lot of classic films and stuff like that, so. Hmm. It was interesting how they did that.
0: Let's, um, I don't, don't know if I like or dislike it, but. Let's jump back a little bit to Obi-Wan. Um, what, what are your thoughts on him? What did, what did you think about him when you saw him the first time?
2: Um, you know, it's interesting because Obi Wan, he looked not like you would think that he looked because he's so much younger. He doesn't have the beard yet. Um, I, I don't have a lot to say about Obi Wan because I actually thought that he was done, he was done properly. It wasn't anything that blew my mind. He just was done properly. He was right on and, uh, he was effective. So, you know, it's funny. I don't have any complaints. So, there's there's not a lot
0: to say about it. Um, I mean, I thought his performance was pretty solid. You know, it was, it was decent. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and I guess if if you if you don't stand out in a negative way in this movie, uh, then you're already better than you know. I, of the cast. I
2: I would have liked to have seen him nail the accent a little bit better because uh, Alec Guinness had a specific accent that was that was uh, not totally got not totally nailed.
0: Yeah, I think it was a little bit too much of his Scottish mixed into uh, what he was trying to take from Guinness.
2: Might not have had a, you know, a good dialect coach. But you know what I did read though? I know I saw it in an interview where they were talking to Ewan McGregor and he actually used to watch, it's funny, he used to watch a lot of old David Lean movies because Alec Guinness was in it and he was trying to nail his young dialect. Um, specifically, uh, Great Expectations mm-hmm. and Oliver Twist. Um, both of those, uh, Alec Guinness was in and he's younger, he, both of them are much younger characters, he tried to nail that accent versus the accent that you know from A New Hope. So you know, that might have had an effect. I actually, as, as a viewer, people aren't going to pick up on the dialect or the, the, the accent from, from old David Lean movies. They're going to pick up on the way Obi-Wan Kenobi sounded in A New Hope in the late 70s. Might not have been accurate, but fans would have picked up on it better. Either way, I'm I'm fine with it. I
0: was happy but, with you in that movie.
2: And also, like the the whole um, progression of Obi Wan Kenobi through the first three films, so the prequels, was the growing up role more so than even Anakin, because Anakin had that jump. It was you know, a samurai you know,
0: look. that He was going for the uh,
2: exactly. the old samurai. Yeah, exactly. So
0: he picked it. That
2: was his motif. He went with it. Um, it just I don't think it looked that great. He didn't need to pick a certain motif specifically because you're in a you're in a universe that doesn't exist. You can create it, make your own rules. He didn't do that, but you know, whatever.
0: When the film came out, the backlash of Jar Jar not only as just a, a fucking terrible character, but. As a, um, as a racial, as a racial character, as, you know, prejudice against
2: black. Yeah, I do. In my opinion on that, and, and, and my, I've always had the feeling the only reason racism really, really exists is because people get hurt. And if you stop getting hurt, if people stop taking offense to things, then it, there's no such thing as racism It doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean,
0: I just Honestly. can't imagine any studio or even someone like George Lucas who's such a, you know, dorky nice guy example of what i was just
2: saying about the motif that he used for the japanese to create this that's what he did that was his that was his method in in creating this world he took from certain cultures and what he did was he took from apparently a a black culture or something reminiscent of that put that there and that's in in the epitome of what i was saying is the the urban or, you know, black culture got offended by that. That's the only reason it was a racist issue is because they got offended by it. And the same with the, um... You didn't hear as much the backlash with the trade federation leaders who had that that uh.
0: Yeah, see that one surprised me. I, I would have figured there'd be more backlash on that. These guys had fish heads and they sounded like Asians. <laughs> and fish heads is a, is a is a negative slur toward Asian people. Yeah. Right there, I'm like I can't believe there wasn't a lot of feedback about that one because the first time I saw that, I said that. I, I pointed a Pat. I was like I was like oh my god that's Japanese sounding and they they got fish for heads. How much more racist yeah.
2: can you get? using that is to kind of pay homage to the old Godzilla movies in. in in his life, this goes into the whole concept of this matinee that he, he created. So, team. what was uh,
0: what was Michael Bay doing with the Ghetto Bots in Revenge of the Fallen?
2: <laughs> he's trying. He's doing a Disney routine where he's like, let's try to relate to our audience, and that's the characters he created. But that's what Lucas did. Lucas just happened to you know he hit a he hit a pot of dead air on that and and and. There wouldn't have been so much backlash if it wasn't for the black community taking offense to everything, and that's why that was such a racist concept because they got offended.
0: I always enjoy like as much as you know I don't like when people get offended really I'm not I'm not all about making people's feelings hurt or anything like that but but when I hear stuff like that I I just laugh and I I enjoy it I enjoy the the ignorance of people lashing out and saying that my feelings are hurt because of this and it's like shut up. It was a black actor that
2: did the part and created the created the character. Yeah, that's they, another so, thing too. And
0: but, but what came back yeah. to Lucas was he got a black eye to to play the part because, you know, it was a racial character.
2: Jarjo was good, though. Complain about, like, the old Western films where, where the, you know, the, the black cowboy hat and black outfit is the bad guy and the guy with the white is, the good you know, the good guy. and I mean, you know, there's that racial stereotype of, like, good versus evil, black versus white.
0: I mean, I really think that as far as prejudice or racist or whatever, you could almost look at anything and find something that you could be offended by.
2: With what Lucas does because he takes from so many cultures. It's just that nobody got offended about their their stereotype ish type character, except for the reason there was a little bit of backlash for the trade federation leaders, but then there was the you know a giant you know backlash from Sargio character, so you've got to look at where it's coming from.
0: oh right, all right yeah the 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 midi Chlorion or is it MIDI or Medi? I forgot well I, I think it's you know it's spelled it's Medi, but it's pronounced midi
2: it's- it's it, it spelled midi medical, M-I-T, um, and it's funny because he did a lot of like spiritual research as well as, you know, Japanese culture and things of that nature, and um, the idea of the, the metachlorian that he, that he touches on, um, he describes it as, you know, it's, it's the life force, it, it like binds us It holds us together, and in, in metaphysics, which, you know, isn't necessarily spiritualism, but spiritualism uses metaphysics to kind of explain some of the things that they have happening. Um, you have what's called, uh, on the scientific side, you have uh, um, mitochondria. And mitochondria is actually that, that element of, of nature that holds together um, cells, the inside of cells, and, what, and, and some spiritualists call it pure energy. It's the source of pure energy and, and scientists, you know, they call it the, uh, I guess it's Greek for, uh, thread or, or formula that holds everything together. So, you know, I went and looked up, uh, some of those, those, uh, breakdowns that Lucas used and, and they're actually not Greek words at all. It's a completely made up word that he used. But metachlorian, and uh, mitochondria are very, very similar, and they actually have the same purpose, scientifically speaking. And in, in Phantom Menace, he does try to explain what the Metachlorians is. And, and in, his, in his explanation, it is the, it's the same on a spiritual side as you would describe uh, mitochondria, um, not on a scientific side. But uh, that's what he took it from, and it, it was really interesting that he did that. And, and again, this is another example where he doesn't even really change the word too much you know, Naboo is the same pronunciation as God, and he uses Naboo as such. Um, Qui-Gon, he uses, the, you know, the exact same pronunciation. This to change the pronunciation a little bit. Um, it, he's just taking it right from it. And then also another one was, uh, Darth Vader. Um, Darth is, uh, is a, I forgot what the language is, but it's, it's, it, it's a, it, it means dark. And so he took that and put that in front of every one of them. and. I, a lot of people don't know what Vader means. Um, Vader which is his way he, he just pronounced father differently. Um, so Vader in, in George Lucas's world means father. So he's the dark father.
0: The fact that the midi-chlorians created Anakin, that I didn't like. I, I thought that was too much of an obvious Jesus Christ ripoff.
2: Yeah, it, it was. Um, he, he was going back to his Joseph Campbell roots and... and taking from this and taking from biblical concepts which I agree with doing that that one was a little far-fetched um, but the metaphorans and the uh, the mitochondria are, are are would do that in this sense and if you were to if you were to scientifically explain how the Virgin Mary gave birth um, it's just the will of God and and God is, is contained within the, the pure energy the pure life force of mitochondria and then in, in the star Wars world we'll the, um, the metachlorians are the force that they use. You know what's interesting? I want to go back to this with, with the whole concept of force. The force is this universe that he's created and the force applies to almost every religion, every spiritual concept and it, it was beautifully, beautifully done originally um, to use a word like the force because the force sounds a little more scientific than it does religious. And it allowed every single person, every religion, to relate to Star Wars because it's similar to whatever their religion is. Um, The Force being God in Star Wars universe, Um, without there being a figure, um, he he created a religion in this where you're not using a figure of you know an old man with a with a with a beard and you know a cloak. You're creating a, a a characterless God. Being the force, and I love how he did that. I think mean, that's what allowed so many people to relate to it. And he even does it. He even uses the same connotations when he talks to people. May the force be with you. Other religions, people say, may God be with you. God's food. That's what he did. And it, it was fantastic, fantastically done. He's Metaclorian it didn't necessarily need to be explained in that way but
0: well I mean if you look at the the fact that everyone looked at it as a religion and by saying it's metachlorians you're making it more scientific than you're kind of taking away from what was initially although when he
2: explained it when Qui-Gon explained it he explained it more on a spiritual uh, plane than he did uh, as opposed to the metaphysical side of it but he had elements to both of it in there and so that's where Lucas got it from if, if you really, really study all the things and all the words that he uses throughout, you can tell where, what he studied, where he got it from, and he was very, you know, he didn't put a lot of effort into changing words around. So you can, you can obviously tell where he gets everything from. It's interesting. It's interesting because he, he definitely did do a lot of research to get the concepts and the ideas and you know what he had. Um, some. Some he hits the ball right out of the right out of the park, other things, you know, he kind of whips and is a foul. But for the most part, like the Metaclorians I think is an example of just, you know, the technique you used, you didn't hit it. You know, didn't hit a home run. Didn't hit a foul. just you know. It's it didn't
0: just, bother me at all when I when I heard it. I wasn't like I mean I'm not religious, yeah. so I could give a shit. But I, I didn't um you know go oh that's stupid or blah blah blah. I was like oh I was like, interesting, but I don't really care that much.
2: You understand the concept of force and you relate to it, and it doesn't bother you because it's not a religious concept, and it works for everybody. It works for people that are religious and it works for people that aren't religious. That's why the force works. And I I commend Lucas on many levels for creating the concept of the Force because it, it, it works for everybody.
0: I'm curious how like opinions of like some of the hardcore Christians, Bible Belt people that take everything well, to heart. Because I remember
2: the subject then because then we get into like the the idea of Harry Potter. That was just about to say Harry
0: Potter. There was a lot of backlash on that. All
2: of these all of these, um, these Catholics that were against it because. In Harry Potter, there's actually like a specific religion that's there, and it, it takes a lot from from paganism and, and Wicca and things of that nature. Um, J.K. Rowling didn't exactly take from it; she kind of created her own concept of it. But it's it, it's along those lines, and that's why the Catholic religion had such a huge problem with it. Lucas, on the other hand, didn't actually—it's not even implied as a religion. He just goes so far back, and he takes the essence of the idea, and he 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 doesn't explain it scientifically, but he just creates the one you know the the Big Bang original cell concept theory, and gives it more life. Right. And being the force, and that's why it works for somebody like you're not religious. Works for you because it doesn't threaten any type of idea of a god. And then it works for people that do believe in in a, in, a, in an almighty power God because they're not threatening the 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 um the concept of destroying their God. You know that's why so many wars exist you don't believe in my God. Well, dang, you're dead. Well, it just seems
0: it seems to me that, you know, you can find almost anything to any movie out there to, to throw a stick at if you're a religious yeah. nut. You could even take, like, Twilight and go, oh, well, vampires are evil and they're dark souls and blah, 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 and that's anti-Catholic.
2: Star Wars does not threaten any religion at all because they don't use the concept of God at all in Star Wars, but he does. You just did it in a way that, you, you know, it's, it's well-hidden. <laughs> no, he just
0: said, you know what, I'm going to stick Jar Jar in here so everyone's going to bitch about that. It's part of what Lucas did that was ingenious.
2: It was the fourth thing. and And it, it, it's an underlying theme that's created throughout the whole time when people say, may the fourth be with you. They all have a common bond in, in, in the movie that they all believe in. And if you look deeply, it is religious, but nobody... You know, the non-religious people don't even think of it as religion. They just think of it as, like, you know, it's Star Wars. It's the Force. You just, you know, people are magic. Mm -hmm. And then people that are religious relate to it in that way. And I I, I think it's one of the greatest things. Now,
0: when he brought the Sith into it as sort of a dark religion, he wasn't referencing any kind of paganism or anything like that either. He wasn't saying the bad religion. He
2: was. You just don't pick up on it. Look at Darth Maul. Darth Maul with his horns and devilish you know, character. He did. He did and 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 nobody, like, in the religious community was smart enough to pick up on him and attack it.
0: You're right. I guess I never thought about the horns and the the devil look of Darth Maul.
2: He did it in a way that wasn't wasn't blatantly religious.
0: I wasn't talking about the the bad side of religion. I was talking about if he had made... You know, I mean, what's considered a bad religion, like paganism from the general public's point of view?
2: He didn't- In my, my opinion, all religion
0: is made up. It was, I agree, he, but it he didn't make so. the Sith like any religion that's perceived as bad.
2: Well, the way he did it is that what, what it is is a force is looked at as like a technique, and it, it, it's almost like a science that you use, and, and people can use science like, a, a great example is Frankenstein's Monster, or Mary Shelley's Frankenstein it's science that they're using in that story and you can either use it for good or you can use it for evil um and he created a monster that ended up primarily being evil now in, in the star wars world you use the force and you can either use it for a force of good or for a force of bad literally to so speak that's the way it's all everyone perceives it so when someone uses the dark side of the force they're using a scientific technique, and they're, they're using it in this way. And the Jedi, for example, they have they all have common ground, and they use the force of the scientific technique for a force of good. It doesn't threaten any religion. It's, it's actually a genius. Uh, you know what's funny, though, and to, to, to aim, like, my theme right now is kind of transitioning into, like, Lucas's genius and some of the things that he did do. Palpatine's slow, gradual rise to power was done beautifully done absolutely beautifully and you know he takes from a lot of different people like there's things that apply to that that are very Napoleonic and the, Napoleon actually being a lot of people when they think of the most evil historical figure they think of Adolf Hitler but Napoleon actually murdered far and wide more more people on a, on this earth than than anybody ever has and what Palpatine did in his rise to power is just exactly like what Napoleon did very similar to Adolf Hitler and very similar to Saddam Hussein.
1: Well,
0: you kill one person, you're a murderer. Kill a million, you're a conqueror. Like, what's that, what's that from? Uh, that's actually from, uh, Cliffhanger. <laughs> ah, nice.
2: Nice little quote. I like yeah. That. Everything I know I'll is from Stallone. I <laughs> bet you anything that Cliffhanger quote, though, is from some, oh. something.
0: Stallone C- wrote that movie. I don't think that, uh, he came up with that quote on his own. I'm sure it's a...
2: You know what? I actually could have I heard that that was like a, a, a quote from Attila the Hun or Alexander the Great. One of them. One of them might have might have said that at one point. It's funny how they, you know, they were able to take the original actor from Return of the Jedi and use him in this entire trilogy, and him have been. Uh, you know, effectively was a great actor. He
0: was actually surprised when they came to him because he knew that there was a prequel trilogy being made, and he knew that his character was involved, and he had no idea that he was going to get the call. So when he got the call, he was actually very surprised, and he said to Lucas, "He's like, I really thought you'd be going with somebody, you know, a lot younger, since it was a prequel. I'm 16 years older than I was." and, and Lucas was like, "Yeah, but we had you aged extremely old in that movie." So you actually work out perfect now.
2: Yeah, so as luck would have it, you know, they end, they end up with, you know, a great theatrical actor. Yeah,
1: the timing um, they, was perfect for it. Yeah,
2: it was, it was you know, just, was lucky that they chose him for the Jedi. But going back to what I was saying is that the slow progression that they did and his strategic moves within the courts was, you know, very, very Julius Caesar-ish and very, you know, very Napoleonic.
0: Oh, he, he was, he was just very, very well, sneaky.
2: They did that. And, and but there, there was a lot to it though um, the the republic is always thought of as as the the Roman empire ish and then the empire that was later on created in Star Wars is always thought of as is the Nazi regime funny they they used the same color. Uh, the swap because all, all that all the colors that exist in that are the same colors that the empire uses.
0: Well, I've actually heard a lot of people reference the empire was similar to America.
2: Well, oh, America is very similar to. I we, mean, we might not want talking to about different.
0: like the, um, when Episode three came out, there was a lot of references to uh, George Bush and the Emperor. A lot of similarities between the two.
2: The way, the way the rest of the world views America during that time period in in American history is looked at you know from outsiders as a very adolf Hitler rise to power the way palpatine does rise to power in this is in effect very similar to to adolf hitler's rise to power adolf hitler had some very very suave moves that he did politically slowly rise to where he was it wasn't done overnight it was done over a long period of time he was was a political genius to get to where he got to and and it's translated in, in the star wars movies to be very similar um especially to the Nazi empire you know it's funny Is the stormtroopers uh the the Nazis the Nazi soldiers were actually called stormtroopers so again, again that's another thing and Lucas doesn't even change the name yeah
0: stormtroopers <laughs> there
2: you go you mean the Nazi was, No, we just take Nazi away from it, so.
0: his <laughs> It's actually interesting in uh, episode one is that the Queen's double was, uh, was Kira Knightley. She was actually the one, like, she was such an exact replica of Natalie Portman when she was in costume. They didn't do, like, a body double. Because I always thought that Natalie Portman played two characters in that movie. They did a digital version of her and they just spliced her over on the other side when she was standing next to her guard. That was actually Kira Knightley. And Lucas deliberately didn't put Kira Knightley's name into the cast list until after the film was released to avoid people knowing that that was her there, in case people had known it was her. A lot of fanboys would have figured out this wasn't Natalie Portman. That's a different actress. Her name's Nat- uh, Kira Knightley or whatever. Natalie Portman's mom had come to the set. And when she was, in, when was dressed in character, she said that she couldn't tell the difference between her daughter and Kira. That's another fun fact.
2: <laughs> yeah. One thing I do really want to touch on, though, is the music. The music, and and, and this is coming kind from of, I'm I'm the biggest John Williams fan of the world. I love, I love, I love what he's done. And just to boast about him for a moment. American Film Institute created the list, the greatest scores ever made. They they announced that you know Star Wars and what he created for Star Wars is number one on the list. It's tough to debate it. He, he used so many great tools to create this. It is possibly the most recognizable theme in
0: all of all of where the, is this list you saw?
2: The American film is, You know how they created so many different lists of the greatest comedies of all time, the greatest films yeah. of all time. Yeah. They, they did the, the greatest scores of all time, and if you look at the list, you, there are some great, great scores on there. Um, now is sorry, um, is just, Zimmer you know, on there anywhere? Hans Zimmer? It's not. It's not specific. John Williams. It's Star Wars. So oh, so so look at the
0: films. It. Okay. The film that,
2: that Hans Zimmer did. I can't think of any offhand. That Hans Zimmer had done, but if you were to make a list of the most iconic music in all of film, Star Wars really just stands out for everyone. You you hear, you hear, you know, any line from it. It's Star Wars. Star Wars is is it. Well, I mean,
0: as far as Williams goes, there's got to be guaranteed three on that list. You got Raiders, Jaws, and Star Wars. All three have got to be on there.
2: Superman. Superman's on the list. Oh, yeah, I
0: forgot about Superman.
2: I mean, Superman. You can't think and, of Superman and uh, ET
0: as well. That's another Williams
2: classic. I don't know. I don't know if ET's on that list. Mm. It should be. But getting back to Star Wars, he composed it. I think in '76. He went in and tapped into some things that people hadn't really done since days of the opera. He, I mean, he's literally copying things that were done, especially with uh, Peter Peter and the Wolf, by using specific theme uh, themes for each character as he went along. It's actually what's called, it's called a, uh, a liette motif used by, by most play, playwrights. They use it all the time, but John Williams was the first to really, really do it in a movie and be recognized the way he was. It had been done on John Barry had done it with, with James Bond to a certain extent. Certain other films have it, but he did it on a just blatant, blatant level for each of the characters. The only other person I can think of that did it was, uh, Richard Wagner did it a lot in, in, uh, in his operas. And a lot of it's a nod to, John Williams is doing a nod to him, he does a nod to so many other people. There's certain themes that he does that he, he just takes right from it. Um, there's one, he was a big fan of Tchaikovsky, and in, in some of the, the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones film, he takes almost line for line, a note for note, Tchaikovsky music. He changes it just enough so that it's John Williams original. He was able to steal, he was able, as an artist, he was able to steal, and Still be considered a genius and create something so original, yet you know he was stealing the main theme though. Star Wars, the main theme, the anthem that was created was done um, in a way that was supposed to, and and he he actually collaborated with Lucas on this. Was going back to the Joseph Campbell, he wanted to create the hero, the epic hero adventure, and then it also had to uh, parallel the Flash Gordon type serial theme. And he did that, and no one asked any musician to do that yet. And he, you know, he was able to create that theme that was just so iconic on so many levels that, uh, you know, you, you, it's tough. It's tough to deny that you know, he didn't create one of the greatest themes ever. Um, but another thing that does show up that is interesting, he created what's called a, uh, a. Some people pronounce it as a Desiree, but it's, it's, it's spelled like guys Array. Um, and it it shows up during like the murder of of uh, Owen Owen and Uh Baru on Tatooine, and then he used that motif to um in, in Attack of the Clones again when it's again because it's you know it was done after the fact, but it's a prequel. Um, when he when Anakin confesses the slaughter to the Sand People, the the same little motif that he does, which is his, the Desiree. Is, um shows up there, and it's uh, it's beautifully, beautifully done, it, the way he, he writes it as such.
0: As far as the Episode one score, I remember being a little disappointed when I heard it. And the only thing I seemed to go back to and enjoy was Duel of the Fates. I still think Duel of the Fates is great. It wasn't the Empire score that I loved as much. Nothing in the prequel score, I think, was even close to Star Wars. Yeah, I just agree. Or- I actually
2: thought... As a whole, the prequel, like, if you look at all the prequel music, it's comparable to, like, any one of the, the original trilogies, but um, not any one individual movie, with the exception, I think Phantom Menace has the best music of the trilogy. It's funny, the Duel the, the of Fates, though, is really one of the, you know, great, great opera-type, cinematic musical.
0: Well, it really made the whole lightsaber duel with Maul and uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, I mean, it was the perfect score for that. It made, it actually made Darth Maul a little bit more of a scary gothic character.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It it actually was supposed to Go along with, with Darth Maul. A lot of people, when, when they, when they say the duel of fate, they say, oh, you mean Darth Maul's theme. And that's, that's not accurate. It's not actually Darth Maul's theme. Well, I think they said that
0: first one came out, but once they realized that theme was in all three of them, and it was even more so at the Yoda Emperor
2: fight at the end of the... It's intended for the duel. Um, it's not Darth Maul's theme at all. But people, like when it, when Phantom Menace came out, people did tag that as Darth Maul's theme. But you know what's interesting is, is that Darth Maul being this kind of like pagan villain that, that you see him as, what uh, John Williams did was he took is from a Celtic poem, or Celtic poem, we say Celtic because we're from Boston, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a Celtic poem and it was translated, used Celtic because it, it did have that very paganist ideas and themes to it, but he took it and translated it into Sanskrit and that's what Song in the background during Duel of Faith, and words that are said, um, originally written in Celtic, were under the tongue of uh, under the tongue roots a fight most dread, and another raging behind in the head. That those are the lines that are said throughout. It's just translated into Sanskrit, so nobody understands what it what it what it means or what's being said.
0: The um, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic is kind of the standard we kind of live by now as far as you know when we want to know what's good and what's not. We, nobody goes and just reads their local paper and says, oh, Joe Blowfuck said that this movie was good. I'm going to go see it. Everybody pretty, pretty much goes to Rotten Tomatoes or, or Metacritic. The Rotten Tomato score of this movie was a 62, and the Metacritic score of this movie was a 52. How accurate is that, and what's your Metacritic score that you would give this film? What are your final thoughts on the film?
2: If I were to give, you know, the way Metacritic does it, you know, 1 to 100, uh, I'd give it somewhere in between a 48 and a 52.
0: So Metacritic you know I mean? score is pretty much accurate for you. 52 on Metacritic. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. You're right in the middle because, it,
2: I mean, it really is epically, beautifully written. It's just got so many flaws in it. And, you know, as, as a structure, it's, it's got some things that are, you know, poor that, that I would, I would criticize on many levels. Very poorly acted. But it's got some great action that makes up for it. And a lot of times, you know, action falls lower on my level than story. I give it somewhere in the 50 range. Doesn't make. I have a list of 100 greatest films of all time, and this doesn't even kind of land in it.
0: Phantom Menace falls in there just because of. I mean, if I've if any movie I've seen as many times as this movie, and I still watch it once a year at least, you know, it's got to be in my top 100. I mean, I wouldn't say if I was rating the best movies of all time, I would put this on the list because it would I'd get laughed at. And I've got there's a couple Friday the 13th movies that have made my top 100, and we all know how shitty those are. So you That's, have a
2: different structure to the, your list and my list consists of things that I I hold in theme. Um, If we were to do the same thing as far as writing goes, I wouldn't have you know sports articles that I read that I read several times over and over again because I liked them and found them interesting to make my list of greatest writing ever or comic books for that matter.
0: I mean, if I was to divide it up and I was to say greatest writing ever, like, story, yes, I would give this credit to. Dialogue, no, I would not.
2: No, I'm just using that as a reference, like if I'm talking about just writing in in books, my books list would be books that I hold in great esteem, um, regardless of how many times I've read them. I've read several comic books and several like you know little corny ads and and articles. Several. Oh several yeah, well times. If that's the case, it and, make uh, my you know, list because I've read it several everybody times. Everybody poops makes, is the
0: greatest book of all time.
2: Yeah, maybe maybe been read a million times, but it doesn't make any of my writing list because I've read it so many times. I have to hold it in a great esteem. So when I look at my movie list, um. Even though I have seen *Phantom Menace* a good chunk of time, doesn't make my list because you know I just don't hold it in a great esteem on you know on a, on a uh, creative
0: level. I mean, it's hard to say. Like you know, I I mean I, I probably funny, give this movie about a 50 as well. Uh, maybe a 55. I don't think there's any movie that scores this low on my Metacritic list score that I've seen this many times. It's, it's unbelievable how a movie can be so, here's the thing. Star Wars is like that family member that you love and you hate at the same time because for whatever reason you just, I'm gonna tear this movie apart for the rest of my life. But I've also accepted, it's hard to explain, but a 50, 55 is is probably about what I'd give it. 55 is a watchable movie. Yeah, there's a lot of 55. I mean, look, I'm sure one of my favorite movies of all time probably below 50 somewhere. But your favorite
2: movie of all time is *In Perfect
0: That would probably get more like a in if I was going to give that a Metacritic score. We'll get to that one later, but. It, I'll, I'll forecast it. It's higher than this one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the critics were pretty accurate on this one. I was disappointed when I read all the reviews at first, and I was like listening to them say like you know oh it's a little bit kind of you wanted it to be bigger. You wanted it to be so yeah. big. So like at the time that was when I started. I hate critics. Fuck critics. Blah blah. I wouldn't accept the fact that this was a bad movie. I walked in and I was like this is gonna be good no matter what. I'm gonna force myself to like this fucking movie. Pretty much what I did, and by doing that, I've watched it so many times that now it's got kind of a nostalgic. I'd say this versus, like, the Lord of the Rings. I can watch one Star Wars movie, pop it in, and be like... From anywhere, you know. The pro- I love Lord of the Rings a lot more than the prequel trilogy, but I can't pop in The Two Towers because if I start watching a minute of The Two Towers, I got to go. All right, I got to start from Fellowship and work my way up. You have to watch those all together, or else it just doesn't flow right. And with these, I can pop in if Episode Two's on Spike TV, or I'll sit there and I'll watch it. Or if this is on, I'll just I'll be like, oh, I'll watch this, and then I can leave, you know, in the middle of it and come back to it, and I don't feel like I have to go along the journey all the way. There's a lot of little chunks in this movie that I can appreciate as I go.
2: Now, I'll say this anytime the original trilogy's on TV and I'm flipping through the channel and I see, you know, Empire or the, you know, A New Hope is on, I stop using my tracks right there and I go and I put the DVD in because I can watch it from beginning to end. The prequels, I don't watch them at all. I don't watch those anymore anyway. I still watch like, the prequels anime. a lot. Uh, I, I'm, I'm doing this podcast, but I don't watch it in a minute at all anymore.
0: Really? So before watching it today, when was the last time you'd watched the film?
2: I didn't really watch it today. Oh. <laughs> I didn't do my homework that
0: much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> like I've seen it enough, I could probably do a podcast on it. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: I'm gonna get a, uh, a proper headset for you <laughs> so that the audio nice? will not be this bad the it, second time
2: it really doesn't sound that good
0: uh it's no it's not good but it, it's doable for like as long as i sound okay
2: How long wanted you think before you edit this, and you put this
0: well it just became longer now because i gotta cut that out thanks <laughs> <laughs> no uh, um uh, i'll uh i'll probably have it edited in the next couple days or so and have it up um and i'll i'll post something on uh on Facebook. Um, And if you enjoy this podcast, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive review. Um, and we will have Star Wars episode two next. Our current email address is adam at mythicalsluglines.com. That's M Y T H I C A L S L U G L I N E S. And, uh, that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks, everybody.